Chapter Two of Birds and Bees, Sharp Eyes, and Other Papers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Supratha Urwal from Saratoga, California. Birds and Bees, Sharp Eyes, and Other Papers by John Burroughs. The Tragedies of the Nests. The life of the birds especially of our migratory songbirds is a series of adventures and of hairbreadth escapes by flood and field very few of them probably die a natural death or even live out half their appointed days the home instinct is strong in birds as it is in most creatures and i am convinced that every spring a large number of those which have survived the southern campaign return to their old haunts to breed a Connecticut farmer took me out under his porch one April day and showed me a Phoebe bird's nest six stories high. The same bird had no doubt returned year after year, and as there was room for only one nest upon her favorite shelf, she had each season reared a new superstructure upon the old as a foundation. I have heard of a white robin, an albino, that nested several years in succession in the suburbs of a Maryland city. A sparrow with a very marked peculiarity of song I have heard several seasons in my own locality. But the birds do not all live to return to their old haunts. The bobolinks and starlings run a gauntlet of fire from the Hudson to the savannah, and the robins and meadowlarks and other songbirds are shot by boys and pot hunters in great numbers, to say nothing of their danger from hawks and owls. But of those that do return, what perils beset their nests even in the most favored localities the cabins of the early settlers when the country was swarming with hostile indians were not surrounded by such dangers the tender households of the birds are not only exposed to hostile indians in the shape of cats and collectors but to numerous murderous and bloodthirsty animals against whom they have no defense but concealment they lead the darkest kind of pioneer life even in our gardens and orchards and under the walls of our houses. Not a day or a night passes from the time the eggs are laid till the young are flown, when the chances are not greatly in favor of the nest being rifled and its contents devoured by owls, skunks, minks, and coons at night, and by crows, jays, squirrels, weasels, snakes, and rats during the day. Infancy, we say, is hedged about by many perils but the infancy of birds is cradled and pillowed in peril an old michigan settler told me that the first six children that were born to him died malaria and teething invariably carried them off when they had reached a certain age but other children were born the country improved and by and by the babies weathered the critical period and the next six lived and grew up the birds too would no doubt persevere six times and twice six times if the season were long enough, and finally rear their family. But the waning summer cuts them short, and but a few species have the heart and strength to make even the third trial. The first nest builders in spring, like the first settlers near hostile tribes, suffered the most casualties. A large portion of the nests of April and May are destroyed. Their enemies have been many months without eggs, and their appetites are keen for them. 
it is a time too when other food is scarce and the crows and squirrels are hard put but the second nests of june and still more the nests of july and august are seldom molested it is rarely that the nest of the goldfinch or the cedar bird is harried my neighborhood on the hudson is perhaps exceptionally unfavorable as a breeding haunt for birds owing to the abundance of fish crows and of red squirrels and the season of which this chapter is mainly a chronicle the season of eighteen eighty one seems to have been a black-letter one even for this place for at least nine nests out of every ten that i observed during that spring and summer failed of their proper issue from the first nest i noted which was that of a blue bird built very imprudently i thought at the time in a squirrel hole in a decayed apple tree about the last of april and which came to naught even the mother bird i suspect perishing by a violent death to the last which was that of a snowbird observed in august among the catskills deftly concealed in a mossy bank by the side of a road that skirted a wood where the tall thimble blackberries grew in abundance from which the last young one was taken when it was about half grown by some nocturnal walker or daylight prowler some untoward fate seemed hovering about them it was a season of calamities of violent deaths of pillage and massacre among our feathered neighbors for the first time i noticed that the orioles were not safe in their strong pendant nests three broods were started in the apple trees only a few yards from the house where for previous seasons the birds had nested without molestation but this time the young were all destroyed when about half grown that chirping and chattering which was so noticeable one day suddenly ceased the next the nests were probably plundered at night and doubtless by the little red screech owl which i know is a denizen of these old orchards living in the deeper cavities of the trees the owl could alight on the top of the nest and easily thrust his murderous claw down into its long pocket and seize the young and draw them forth the tragedy of one of the nests was heightened or at least made more palpable by one of the half-fledged birds either in its attempt to escape or while in the clutches of the enemy being caught and entangled in one of the horsehairs by which the nest was stayed and held to the limb above there it hung bruised and dead gibbeted to its own cradle this nest was the theatre of another little tragedy later in the season sometime in august a bluebird indulging its propensity to peep and pry into holes and crevices alighted upon it and probably inspected the interior but by some unlucky move it got its wings entangled in the same fatal horsehair its efforts to free itself appeared only to result in its being more securely and hopelessly bound and there it perished and there its form dried and embalmed by the summer heats was yet hanging in september the outspread wings and plumage showing nearly as bright as in life a correspondent writes me that one of his orioles got entangled in a cord while building her nest and that though by the aid of a ladder he reached and liberated her she died soon afterward he also found a chippy also called hairbird suspended from a branch by a horsehair beneath a partly constructed nest i heard of a cedar bird caught and destroyed in the same way and of two young blue birds around whose legs a horsehair had become so tightly wound that the legs withered up and dropped off the birds became fledged and left the nest with the others 
such tragedies are probably quite common before the advent of civilization in this country the oriole probably built a much deeper nest than it usually does at present where now it builds in remote trees and along the borders of the woods its nest i have noticed is long and guard shaped but in orchards and near dwellings it is only a deep cup or pouch it shortens it up in proportion as the danger lessens probably a succession of disastrous years like the one under review would cause it to lengthen it again beyond the reach of owl's talons or jaybird's beak the first song sparrow's nest i observed in the spring of eighteen eighty one was in the field under a fragment of a board the board being raised from the ground a couple of inches by two poles it had its full complement of eggs and probably sent forth a brood of young birds though as to this i cannot speak positively as i neglected to observe it further it was well sheltered and concealed and was not easily come at by any of its natural enemies save snakes and weasels but concealment often avails little in may a song sparrow that had evidently met with disaster earlier in the season built its nest in a thick mass of woodbine against the side of my house about fifteen feet from the ground perhaps it took the hint from its cousin the english sparrow the nest was admirably placed protected from the storms by the overhanging eaves and from all eyes by the thick screen of leaves only by patiently watching the suspicious bird as she lingered near with food in her beak did i discover its whereabouts that brood is safe i thought beyond doubt but it was not the nest was pillaged one night either by an owl or else by a rat that had climbed into the vine seeking an entrance to the house the mother bird after reflecting upon her ill luck about a week seemed to resolve to try a different system of tactics and to throw all appearances of concealment aside she built a nest few yards from the house beside the drive upon a smooth piece of greensward there was not a weed or a shrub or anything whatever to conceal it or mark its site the structure was completed and incubation had begun before i discovered what was going on well well i said looking down upon the bird almost at my feet this is going to the other extreme indeed now the cats will have you the desperate little bird sat there day after day looking like a brown leaf pressed down in the short green grass as the weather grew hot her position became very trying it was no longer a question of keeping the eggs warm but of keeping them from roasting the sun had no mercy on her and she fairly panted in the middle of the day in such an emergency the male robin has been known to perch above the sitting female and shade her with his outstretched wings but in this case there was no perch for the male bird had he been disposed to make a sunshade of himself i thought to lend a hand in this direction myself and so stuck a leafy twig beside the nest this was probably an unwise interference it guided disaster to the spot the nest was broken up and the mother bird was probably caught as i never saw her afterward for several previous summers a pair of kingbirds had reared unmolested a brood of young in an apple tree only a few yards from the house but during the season disaster overtook them also the nest was completed the eggs laid and incubation had begun when one morning about sunrise i heard cries of distress and alarm proceed from the old apple tree looking out of the window i saw a crow 
which I knew to be a fish crow, perched upon the edge of the nest, hastily bolting the eggs. The parent birds, usually so ready for the attack, seemed overcome with grief and alarm. They fluttered about in the most helpless and bewildered manner, and it was not till the robber fled on my approach that they recovered themselves and charged upon him. The crow scurried away with upturned, threatening head, the furious king birds fairly upon his back. The pair lingered around their desecrated nest for several days, almost silent and saddened by their loss, and then disappeared. They probably made another trial elsewhere. The fish crow only fishes when it has destroyed all the eggs and young birds it can find. It is the most despicable thief and robber among our feathered creatures. From May to August, it is gorged with the fledglings of the nest. It is fortunate that its range is so limited. In size, it is smaller than the common crow, and is a much less noble and dignified bird. Its caw is weak and feminine, a sort of split and abortive caw that stamps it the sneak thief it is. This crow is common farther south, but is not found in this state, so far as I have observed, except in the valley of the Hudson. One season, a pair of them built a nest in a Norway spruce that stood amid a dense growth of other ornamental trees near a large unoccupied house. They sat down amid plenty. The wolf established himself in the fold. The many birds, robins, thrushes, finches, vireos, peewees, that seek the vicinity of dwellings, especially of these large country residences, with their many trees and park-like grounds, for the greater safety of their eggs and young, were the easy and convenient victims of these robbers. They plundered right and left, and were not disturbed till their young were nearly fledged, when some boys, who had long before marked them as their prize, rifled the nest. The songbirds nearly all build low. Their cradle is not upon the treetop. It is only birds of prey that fear danger from below more than from above, and that seek the higher branches for their nests. A line five feet from the ground would run above more than half the nests, and one ten feet would bound more than three-fourths of them. It is only the oriole and the wood peewee that, as a rule, go higher than this. The crows and jays and other enemies of the birds have learned to explore this belt pretty thoroughly. But the leaves and the protective coloring of most nests baffle them as effectually, no doubt as they do the professional oologist. The nest of the red-eyed vireo is one of the most artfully placed in the wood. It is just beyond the point where the eye naturally pauses in its search, namely, on the extreme end of the lowest branch of the tree, usually four or five feet from the ground. One looks up and down through the tree, shoots his eye-beams into it, as he might discharge his gun at some game hidden there. But the drooping tip of that low horizontal branch who would think of pointing his piece just there? If a crow or other marauder were to alight upon the branch or upon those above it, the nest would be screened from him by the large leaf that usually forms a canopy immediately above it. The nest hunter, standing at the foot of the tree and looking straight before him, might discover it easily, were it not for its soft neutral grey tint which blends so thoroughly with the trunks and branches of trees. Indeed. I think there is no nest in the woods, no arboreal nest so well concealed. The last one I saw was a pendant from the end of a low branch of a maple, 
that nearly grazed the clapboards of an unused hay barn in a remote backwoods clearing i peeped through a crack and saw the old birds feed the nearly fledged young within a few inches of my face and yet the cowbird finds this nest and drops her parasitical egg in it her tactics in this as in other cases are probably to watch the movements of the parent bird she may often be seen searching anxiously through the trees or bushes for a suitable nest yet she may still oftener be seen perched upon some good point of observation watching the birds as they come and go about her there is no doubt that in many cases the cowbird makes room for her own illegitimate egg in the nest by removing one of the bird's own when the cowbird finds two or more eggs in a nest in which she wishes to deposit her own she will remove one of them i found a sparrow's nest with two sparrow's eggs and one cowbird's egg another egg lying a foot or so below it on the ground i replaced the ejected egg and the next day found it again removed and another cowbird's egg in its place i put it back the second time when it was again ejected or destroyed for i failed to find it anywhere very alert and sensitive birds like the warblers often bury the strange egg beneath a second nest built on top of the old a lady living in the suburbs of an eastern city one morning heard cries of distress from a pair of house wrens that had a nest in a honeysuckle on her front porch on looking out of the window she beheld this little comedy comedy from her point of view but no doubt grim tragedy from the point of view of the wrens a cowbird with a wren's egg in its beak running rapidly along the walk with the outraged wrens forming a procession behind it screaming scolding and gesticulating as only these voluble little birds can the cowbird had probably been surprised in the act of violating the nest and the wrens were giving her a piece of their minds every cowbird is reared at the expense of two or more songbirds for every one of these dusky little pedestrians there amid the grazing cattle there are two more sparrows or vireos or warblers the less it is a big price to pay two larks for a bunting two sovereigns for a shilling but nature does not hesitate occasionally to contradict herself in just this way the young of the cowbird is disproportionately large and aggressive one might say hoggish when disturbed it will clasp the nest and scream and snap its beak threateningly one hatched out in a song sparrow's nest which was under my observation and would soon have overridden and overborne the young sparrow which came out of the shell a few hours later had i not interfered from time to time and lent the young sparrow a helping hand every day i would visit the nest and take the sparrow out from under the pot-bellied interloper and place it on top so that presently it was able to hold its own against its enemy both birds became fledged and left the nest about the same time whether the race was an even one after that i know not i noted but two warblers nests during that season one of the black-throated blueback and one of the red start the latter built in an apple tree but a few yards from a little rustic summer house where i idle away many summer days the lively little birds darting and flashing about attracted my attention for a week before i discovered their nest they probably built it by working early in the morning before i appeared upon the scene as i never saw them with material in their beaks 
guessing from their movements that the nest was in a large maple that stood nearby i climbed the tree and explored it thoroughly looking especially in the forks of the branches as the authorities say these birds build in a fork but no nest could i find indeed how can one by searching find a bird's nest i overshot the mark the nest was much nearer me almost under my very nose and i discovered it not by searching but by a casual glance of the eye while thinking of other matters the bird was just settling upon it as i looked up from my book and caught her in the act the nest was built near the end of a long knotty horizontal branch of an apple tree but effectually hidden by the grouping of the leaves it had three eggs one of which proved to be barren the two young birds grew apace and were out of the nest early in the second week but something caught one of them the first night the other probably grew to maturity as it disappeared from the vicinity with its parents after some days the blueback's nest was scarcely a foot from the ground in a little bush situated in a low dense wood of hemlock and beech and maple amid the catskills a deep massive elaborate structure in which the sitting bird sank till her beak and tail alone were visible above the brim it was a misty chilly day when i chanced to find the nest and the mother bird knew instinctively that it was not prudent to leave her four half-incubated eggs uncovered and exposed for a moment when i sat down near the nest she grew very uneasy and after trying in vain to decoy me away by suddenly dropping from the branches and dragging herself over the ground as if mortally wounded she approached and timidly and half doubtingly covered her eggs within two yards of where i sat i disturbed her several times to note her ways there came to be something almost appealing in her looks and manner and she would keep her place on her precious eggs till my outstretched hand was within a few feet of her finally i covered the cavity of the nest with a dry leaf this she did not remove with her beak but thrust her head deftly beneath it and shook it off upon the ground many of her sympathizing neighbors attracted by her alarm note came and had a peep at the intruder and then flew away but the male bird did not appear upon the scene the final history of this nest i am unable to give as i did not again visit it till late in the season when of course it was empty years passed without my finding a brown thrasher's nest it is not a nest you are likely to stumble upon in your walk it is hidden as a miser hides his gold and watched as jealously the male pours out his rich and triumphant song from the tallest tree he can find and fairly challenges you to come and look for his treasures in his vicinity but you will not find them if you go the nest is somewhere on the outer circle of his song he is never so imprudent as to take up his stand very near it the artists who draw those cosy little pictures of a brooding mother bird with the male perched but a yard away in full song do not copy from nature the thrasher's nest i found thirty or forty rods from the point where the male was wont to indulge in his brilliant recitative it was in an open field under a low ground juniper my dog disturbed the sitting bird as i was passing near the nest could be seen only by lifting up and parting away the branches all the arts of concealment had been carefully studied it was the last place you would think of looking and if you did look nothing was visible but the dense green circle of the low spreading juniper when you approached the bird would keep her place till you had begun to stir the branches when she would start out and just skimming the ground 
make a bright brown line to the near fence and bushes. I confidently expected that this nest would escape molestation, but it did not. Its discovery by myself and dog probably opened the door for ill luck, as one day, not long afterward, when I peeped in upon it, it was empty. The proud song of the male had ceased from his accustomed tree, and the pair were seen no more in that vicinity. The Phoebe bird is a wise architect, and perhaps enjoys as great an immunity from danger, both in its person and its nest, as any other bird. Its modest, ashen-gray suit is the color of the rocks where it builds, and the moss of which it makes such free use gives to its nest the look of a natural growth or accretion. But when it comes into the barn or under the shed to build, as it so frequently does, the moss is rather out of place. Doubtless in time the bird will take the hint, and when she builds in such places, will leave the moss out. I noted but two nests, the summer I am speaking of, one in a barn, failed of issue on account of the rats, I suspect, though the little owl may have been the depredator. The other in the woods sent forth three young. This latter nest was most charmingly and ingeniously placed. I discovered it while in quest of pond lilies, in a long, deep, level stretch of water in the woods. A large tree had blown over at the edge of the water, and its dense mass of upturned roots, with the black peaty soil filling the interstices, was like the fragment of a wall several feet high, rising from the edge of the languid current. In a niche in this earthy wall, and visible and accessible only from the water, a Phoebe had built her nest and reared her brood. I paddled my boat up and came alongside, prepared to take the family aboard. The young, nearly ready to fly, were quite undisturbed by my presence, having probably been assured that no danger need be apprehended from that side. It was not a likely place for minks, or they would not have been so secure. I noted but one nest of the wood peewee, and that too, like so many other nests, failed of issue. It was saddled upon a small dry limb of a plane tree that stood by the roadside, about forty feet from the ground. Every day for nearly a week, as I passed by, I saw the sitting bird upon the nest. Then, one morning, she was not in her place, and, on examination, the nest proved to be empty, robbed, I had no doubt, by the red squirrels, as they were very abundant in its vicinity, and appeared to make a clean sweep of every nest. The wood peewee builds an exquisite nest, shaped and finished as if cast in a mould. It is modelled without and within with equal neatness and art, like the nest of the hummingbird and the little grey gnat-catcher. The material is much more refractory than that used by either of these birds, being in the present case dry fine cedar twigs, but these were bound into a shape as rounded and compact as could be moulded out of the most plastic material. Indeed, the nest of this bird looks precisely like a large, lichen-covered, cup-shaped excrescence of the limb upon which it is placed, and the bird, while sitting, seems entirely at ease. Most birds seem to make very hard work of incubation. It is a kind of martyrdom which appears to tax all their powers of endurance. They have such a fixed, rigid, predetermined look, pressed down into the nest and as motionless as if made of cast iron. But the wood peewee is an exception. She is largely visible above the rim of the nest, 
her attitude is easy and graceful she moves her head this way and that and seems to take note of whatever goes on about her and if her neighbor were to drop in for a little social chat she could doubtless do her part in fact she makes light and easy work of what to most other birds is such a serious and engrossing matter if it does not look like play with her it at least looks like leisure and quiet contemplation there is no nest builder that suffers from more crows and squirrels and other enemies than the wood thrush it builds as openly and unsuspiciously as if it thought the whole world as honest as itself its favorite place is the fork of a sapling eight or ten feet from the ground where it falls an easy prey to every nest robber that comes prowling through the woods and groves it is not a bird that skulks and hides like the catbird the brown thrasher the chat or the chewink and its nest is not concealed with the same art as theirs our thrushes are all frank open-mannered birds but the weary and the hermit build upon the ground where they at least escape the crows owls and jays and stand a better chance to be overlooked by the red squirrel and weasel also while the robin seeks the protection of dwellings and outbuildings for years i have not known the nest of a wood thrush to succeed during the season referred to i observed but two both apparently a second attempt as the season was well advanced and both failures in one case the nest was placed in a branch that an apple tree standing near a dwelling held out over the highway the structure was barely ten feet above the middle of the road and would just escape a passing load of hay it was made conspicuous by the use of a large fragment of newspaper in its foundation and unsafe material to build upon in most cases whatever else the press may guard this particular newspaper did not guard this nest from harm it saw the egg and probably the chick but not the fledgling a murderous deed was committed above the public highway but whether in the open day or under cover of darkness i have no means of knowing the frisky red squirrel was doubtless the culprit the other nest was in a maple sapling within a few yards of the little rustic summer-house already referred to the first attempt of the season i suspect had failed in a more secluded place under the hill so the pair had come up nearer the house for protection the male sang in the trees nearby for several days before i chanced to see the nest the very morning i think it was finished i saw a red squirrel exploring a tree but a few yards away he probably knew what the singing meant as well as i did i did not see the inside of the nest for it was almost instantly deserted the female having probably laid a single egg which the squirrel had devoured if i were a bird in building my nest i should follow the example of the bobolink placing it in the midst of a broad meadow where there was no spear of grass or flower or growth unlike another to mark its site i judge that the bobolink escapes the dangers to which i have adverted as few or no other birds do unless the mowers come along at an earlier date than she has anticipated that is before july first or a skunk goes nosing through the grass which is unusual she is as safe as bird well can be in the great open of nature she selects the most monotonous and uniform place she can find amid the daisies or the timothy and clover and places her simple structure upon the ground in the midst of it there is no concealment 
except as the great conceals the little as the desert conceals the pebble as the myriad conceals the unit you may find the nest once if your course chances to lead you across it and your eye is quick enough to note the silent brown bird as she darts quickly away but step three paces in the wrong direction and your search will probably be fruitless my friend and i found a nest by accident one day and then lost it again one minute afterward i moved away a few yards to be sure of the mother bird charging my friend not to stir from his tracks when i returned he had moved two paces he said he had really moved four and we spent a half hour stooping over the daisies and buttercups looking for the lost clue we grew desperate and fairly felt the ground all over with our hands but without avail i marked the spot with the bush and came the next day and with the bush as a centre moved about it in slowly increasing circles covering i thought nearly every inch of the ground with my feet and laying hold of it with all the visual powers that i could command till my patience was exhausted and i gave up baffled i began to doubt the ability of the parent birds themselves to find it and so secreted myself and watched after much delay the male bird appeared with food in his beak and satisfying himself that the coast was clear dropped into the grass which i had trodden down in my search fastening my eye upon a particular meadow lily i walked straight to the spot bent down and gazed long and intently into the grass finally my eye separated the nest and its young from its surroundings my foot had barely missed them in my search but by how much they had escaped my eye i could not tell probably not by distance at all but simply by unrecognition they were virtually invisible the dark grey and yellowish brown dry grass and stubble of the meadow bottom were exactly copied in the colour of the half-fledged young more than that they hugged the nest so closely and formed such a compact mass that though there were five of them they preserved the unit of expression no single head or form was defined they were one and that one was without shape or colour and not separable except by closest scrutiny from the one of the meadow bottom that nest prospered as bobolink's nests doubtless generally do for notwithstanding the enormous slaughter of the birds during their fall migrations by southern sportsmen the bobolink appears to hold its own and its music does not diminish in our northern meadows birds with whom the struggle for life is the sharpest seem to be more prolific than those whose nest and young are exposed to fewer dangers the robin the sparrow the peewee etc will rear or make attempt to rear two and sometimes three broods in a season but the bobolink the oriole the kingbird the goldfinch the cedar bird the birds of prey and the woodpeckers that build in safe retreats in the trunks of trees have usually but a single brood if the bobolink reared two broods our meadows would swarm with them i noted three nests of the cedar bird in august in a single orchard all productive but all with one or more unfruitful eggs in them the cedar bird is the most silent of our birds having but a single fine note so far as i have observed but its manners are very expressive at times no bird known to me is capable of expressing so much silent alarm while on the nest as this bird as you ascend the tree and draw near it it depresses its plumage and crest 
stretches up its neck and becomes the very picture of fear other birds under like circumstances hardly change their expression at all till they launch into the air when by their voice they express anger rather than alarm i have referred to the red squirrel as a destroyer of the eggs and young of birds i think the mischief it does in this respect can hardly be overestimated nearly all birds look upon it as their enemy and attack and annoy it when it appears near their breeding haunts thus i have seen the peewee the cuckoo the robin and the wood thrush pursuing it with angry voice and gestures a friend of mine saw a pair of robins attack one in the top of a tall tree so vigorously that they caused it to lose its hold when it fell to the ground and was so stunned by the blow as to allow him to pick it up if you wish the birds to breed and thrive in your orchard and groves kill every red squirrel that infests the place kill every weasel also the weasel is a subtle and arch enemy of the birds it climbs trees and explores them with great ease and nimbleness i have seen it do so on several occasions one day my attention was arrested by the angry notes of a pair of brown thrashers that were flitting from bush to bush along an old stone row in a remote field presently i saw what it was that excited them three large red weasels or ermines coming along the stone wall and leisurely and half playfully exploring every tree that stood near it they had probably robbed the thrashers they would go up the trees with great ease and glide serpent-like out upon the main branches when they descended the tree they were unable to come straight down like a squirrel but went around it spirally how boldly they thrust their heads out of the wall and eyed me and sniffed me as i drew near their round thin ears their prominent glistening bead-like eyes and the curving snake-like motions of the head and neck being very noticeable they looked like blood-suckers and egg-suckers they suggested something extremely remorseless and cruel one could understand the alarm of the rats when they discover one of these fearless subtle and circumventing creatures threading their holes to flee must be like trying to escape death itself i was one day standing in the woods upon a flat stone in what at certain seasons was the bed of a stream when one of these weasels came undulating along and ran under the stone upon which i was standing as i remained motionless he thrust his wedge-shaped head and turned it back above the stone as if half in mind to seize my foot then he drew back and presently went his way these weasels often hunt in packs like the british stoat when i was a boy my father one day armed me with an old musket and sent me to shoot chipmunks around the corn while watching the squirrels a troop of weasels tried to cross a barway where i sat and were so bent on doing it that i fired at them boy-like simply to thwart their purpose one of the weasels was disabled by my shot but the troop was not discouraged and after making several feints to cross one of them seized the wounded one and bore it over and the pack disappeared in the wall on the other side let me conclude this chapter with two or three notes about this alert enemy of the birds and the lesser animals the weasel a farmer one day heard a queer growling sound in the grass on approaching the spot he saw two weasels contending over a mouse each had hold of the mouse pulling in opposite directions and were so absorbed in the struggle that the farmer cautiously put his hand down 
and grabbed them both by the back of the neck. He put them in a cage and offered them bread and other food. Thus they refused to eat, but in a few days one of them had eaten the other up, picking his bones clean and leaving nothing but the skeleton. The same farmer was one day in his cellar when two rats came out of a hole near him in great haste and ran up the cellar wall and along its top till they came to a floor timber that stopped their progress when they turned at bay and looked excitedly back along the course they had come in a moment a weasel evidently in hot pursuit of them came out of the hole and seeing the farmer checked his course and darted back the rats had doubtless turned to give him fight and would probably have been a match for him the weasel seems to track its game by scent a hunter of my acquaintance was one day sitting in the woods when he saw a red squirrel run with great speed up a tree near him and out upon a long branch from which he leaped to some rocks and disappeared beneath them in a moment a weasel came in full course upon his trail ran up the tree then out along the branch from the end of which he leaped to the rocks as the squirrel did and plunged beneath them doubtless the squirrel fell a prey to him the squirrel's best game would have been to have kept to the higher treetops where he could easily have distanced the weasel but beneath the rocks he stood a very poor chance i have often wondered what keeps such an animal as the weasel in check for weasels are quite rare they never need go hungry for rats and squirrels and mice and birds are everywhere they probably do not fall a prey to any other animal and very rarely to man but the circumstances or agencies that check the increase of any species of animal are as darwin says very obscure and but little known end of the tragedies of the nests recording by supradarval